The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Thanks for joining us. This is Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, offering support for your spiritual growth and addiction recovery. Here's Reverend Dan Beckett. Welcome to the Spirit of Recovery on Unity Online Radio, and we are glad you're with us today. I am Reverend Dan Beckett here with co-host Reverend Michelle Jelinch. Today, we will share ways that spirituality and recovery intertwine and work together to support your spiritual growth in your recovery journey. Facebook users, you can send us your questions and comments anytime during the week from our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery. Just click the Send Message button right below the banner. Each week on the show, we'll respond to a listener question or comment. Be assured that your anonymity will always be respected, so please let us know what's on your mind. We'd love to hear from you. Today's show is entitled Growing in the Spirit. Anonymity is a central tenet of 12-step recovery. Many who are new don't want people to know that they're in recovery, which is totally understandable. But as we grow in the spirit, anonymity becomes far more than a simple desire not to be known. We realize that anonymity is, in fact, humility at work in our lives. With it, we can move from fear to serenity. Today, we want to share our experience, strength, and hope on growing in the spirit through a deepening relationship with anonymity. So we'll begin, <clears throat> excuse me, today by sharing our experiences of that fear, and then we'll move into the solution of the principle of anonymity. And after the break, we'll share exactly how the principle of anonymity helped us to move from that fear to serenity. So Dan, <clears throat> tell us about what that fear looked like, for, looked like, or maybe continues to look like for you on your recovery path. Now, fortunately, this is one that uh, has faded a great deal with with time, and I don't always, you know, sometimes we we joke about how I I can't say how I used to be that way because right. sometimes I still am that way. Yep. Um, but when when I first came in, I was definitely one of those people that did not want anyone to know that I was there, and so that was kind of my first. Um, first understanding of anonymity and an early fear that I had. Now, there were lots of other ones, and and as we uh, have shared before, we find uh, in the big book on page 62, where it says, driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, and self-pity. So I I definitely resonated early on with um, that idea, and that particularly helpful, to me, helpful and colorful description there from the big book about being driven by a hundred forms of fear. Yeah. 
And of course, you know, having been a person that drank for a long, long, long time, decades up to that point, then all of a sudden, um, you know, being alcohol free, there was lots of stuff uh, coming up to be afraid about, you know, things that yeah. I think I used to be able to better manage um, through alcohol, all of a sudden, uh, that was gone. I was sober, at least dry. I don't know how sober I was, but at least I was dry. But with that brought, uh, you know, great opportunity for to be fearful about all kinds of things. So it was just a, a particularly fearful time. But as we talk about growing in the spirit and as we talk about anonymity, that was one of my primary fears was that I didn't want I didn't want to see people. I didn't want people to see me walking in and out of the meeting room. You know, it was in a yeah. church. I didn't. Of course, the very first meeting I ever attended, I walk in. And I see someone that I know from Cub Scouts. <laughs> uh, so in a way, I got to address it right away. And she looks at me and says, I didn't know you were one of us. And I said, I didn't either. <laughs> and that was because <laughs> I was really, I mean, I was, you know, 30 days sober at that time. So anyway, so that helped, you know. It's almost like now that I say that out loud, it's like my first fear, my worst fear came true immediately in the room and very quickly turned into a connection, you know, instead of a, a reason to be afraid. Yeah. Well, you know, when we were preparing for this, I was I was thinking and I was even telling you that I never really had that fear. But when you just shared that, I think I remember that I did have, you know, some initial trepidation about going into the rooms and who was going to see me. Um, my first time I went into the Alano Club. And so it was sort of a visible place, you know, it's in a downtown area where there's a lot of um, folks milling about and stuff. And so, yeah, there was some, you know, uncomfortable feelings about uh, being seen going in there and, um, you know, who might be in there and that kind of thing. So I guess I had just forgotten that feeling. Um, I live in a really small town, and so anonymity can be really tricky around here. Y you mentioned um, one of the terms that we use to refer to one another when we say, oh, are you one of us? You know, if, uh -huh. if, a, if somebody asks you, are you one of us, um, they're asking you if you're in a pro in program, you know. Yeah. And, of course, we also say, you know, are you a friend of Bill W? And, you know, various code that we use <laughs> to identify one another <laughs> when we're out in the world. So, um, but yeah, it can be tricky as in a small town where you know people in multiple ways or have multiple connections with people to remember who you know from where and who, you know, not saying where you know. Yeah, it can get really confusing. Yes, it did. I <laughs> forgot about that, but thank you for that reminder. Yeah, all of a sudden I'll see people somewhere, not sure where I know them from, and terrified yeah. that I know them in a recovery setting and I better not let on or say anything or put my foot in my mouth or right. or whatever it might be. Yes, my goodness. Or the worst uh, thing when somebody asks you, oh, how do you know so-and-so? And you have to quick come up with an answer. Yeah, just, you know, here and there around town. Yeah. yeah, just around town. We have some friends in common. Yeah. Exactly. 
Yeah, friend of Bill W. I like that one because we all know what that means. Yeah, exactly. Uh, especially for if, you know if alcohol was our particular thing. Right. And then, uh, but sometimes I like to say retired professional drinker. You know, <laughs> retired professional, or incorrigible booze hound. You know, I like that better than alcoholic. <laughs> anyway, I know it's just a lot more fun. It is. But talking about fear again, so yeah, fear a fearful that people would know that I had, you know, quote, had this problem. Um, and, and another source of fear for me was it was just all so new and I didn't know where all this was going. You know, I felt like I was, you know, at, way out on a limb, so to yeah. speak. And it was super uncomfortable just to be living alcohol free. And the, the mere fact that I did not really understand how all this worked and I didn't really know where all this was going was deeply concert, disconcerting for me because I had always been a person that valued understanding how things work and therefore at least telling myself a story about how I know where things are going. And so that kind of, that was one way in, in which I kind of into the deep end and was forced um I don't know, just experience that discomfort, I would say. You know, there's nothing that you need to do about it. Yeah. And in fact, that was probably a big part of my problem is that I thought that, that I did need some, to do something about it. And the thing that I did about it was drink, right. you know, just to, just to be able to relax and get a little bit of break from um, the general uh, fear, fears that come up in life. So I didn't have that. I did not know where all this was going. And it definitely made me uncomfortable. Yes, it can be very uncomfortable in early recovery. It's like a whole new way of being in the world. I definitely relate. You know, we always talk about that line in the literature of being driven by a hundred forms of fear. And, um, you know, I've seen it. I think it's also in our literature that basically as we start to look at our character defects and such that most of them, if not all of them, can ultimately be distilled down to fear. So, for example, if I have, you know, if arrogance is a character defect, then that really comes from an underlying fear of not being good enough or of not being um, seen as competent or capable or whatever. And so, yeah, fear is definitely um, enemy number one for me um, in my life shows up in a lot of different ways. When you were talking, I thought about how I think the first fear that I experienced in recovery was when the therapist that I'd been seeing for um, a very short time, actually, at that point, we were talking about my alcohol use, and she suggested to me that I not drink for a few days and see what that felt like. Well, that was my, that was when fear struck me deep. It's like, what? Yes, I'm like, why would I do that? What are you why talking would about? You That's crazy. That's kooky talk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that struck fear in my soul. And I, she must have seen the fear on my face because that's when she suggested that I might have a wee problem. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, but yeah, not, not having that, uh, that liquid elixir to use uh, was a fearful thing for me because it meant that I was going to have to find another way to be. And that's ultimately what recovery has been about for me, finding another way to be in the world without using alcohol. Absolutely. On an ongoing basis. Yes. You know, uh, that what you just said reminded me that I had come at some point, recognized that alcohol was kind of the thing that filled in all the gaps. Yes, life, so to speak, it, it, it smoothed over rough edges and rough cracks and it made everything 
okay when maybe without it I wouldn't feel so okay. Yep. Um, another another experience of fear in early recovery, uh, and this is a you know, little bit of a theme, and the theme is, man, was I uncomfortable uh, because I was really feeling exposed in many ways um, that I wasn't used to. And this whole concept of living one day at a time, you know, that played on what I was talking about a few minutes ago about not knowing where all this is going. And people say, well, just live one day at a time. I'm like, how can I possibly do that? You know, I, I'm not comfortable not think at least thinking that I know what's going on and where all this is going. And so to hear that, what I really needed to do was to embrace living only in today. You know, that that I didn't like that at all at first. Now I have I've come to really love that way of living, but I'm gonna tell you that it took yeah. a while. Yes. It took quite a while and it and it's still unfolding. You know, I feel I'm no expert at living one day at a time. I get each each day I get a chance to renew my commitment to that practice. Um, but, you know, just the very idea of living one day at a time uh, w- was not comfortable for me. Yeah, I was thinking, you know, when you're talking about the ways that we used alcohol, um, it's, it was almost like wearing a thin membrane over myself that was sort of always there. And so leaving alcohol behind and not drinking anymore meant taking off that membrane. So it was sort of like walking around with exposed raw skin all the time. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I see that you're resonating with that. And, and, you know, the fear that's behind that, my God, a hundred forms of fear, you know, fear of my own feelings, fear of what I might feel if I wasn't wearing that membrane, fear of the present moment, what the present moment would feel like. Because for me, it was always, okay, well, I can deal with the present moment because I know later on I'm going to have a drink. And I would spend (laughs) an awful lot of time thinking about what kind of drink that was going to be, where I was going to drink it, how many of them I was going to drink, who I was going to drink it with. And so it was almost like a little reward for me. I was in graduate school at the time. So it was like, okay, as soon as I finish my paper, then I get to crack open that bottle of Napa Valley Chardonnay, you know, and that, that was sort of how I, you know, so it was, it was not living in the present moment. It was living into when that next drink was going to be. And even if it wasn't today, I knew that that drink was in the future. Yeah. So I could do yeah, anything so, if I knew that I would be able to drink later. Later. Exactly. Yeah. And so really it comes down to a fear of the present moment, a fear of just being present and being in the now. I think that sums it up perfectly, at least in my experience. But so now that we know about this challenge of fear, what is the solution? Well, as always, in unity, we affirm that all of life is governed by spiritual principles. And that includes the spiritual principles that underlie 12-step recovery. In fact, in recovery, the 12th tradition states, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions. But this principle of anonymity is not as simple as it may appear on the surface. It has layers. And as we grow in the spirit, anonymity takes on deeper meaning. And that's what we want to focus on today. But what are these layers of anonymity? What am I talking about? What does it look like at first? And how does it change as we grow in the spirit. So Michelle, when you think when you think about anonymity, especially when you were early on your recovery path, what comes to mind for you? Yeah, well, you know, 
as we've been discussing this topic and preparing for the show today, I really realized that anonymity is a very layered, multifaceted thing. And I don't think I, well, I know I didn't fully grasp that at the beginning. I mean, at the beginning, it just meant you don't tell you don't tell who you see there. You know, you don't tell someone, oh, I saw so-and-so at an AA meeting. Um, but it turns out that there's a lot more to it than that. That's sort of, um, like you were saying, that's sort of kindergarten level anonymity. And um, so, yeah, there's a lot more to be understood about that. Um, but ultimately, what it comes down to is what is the second half of that tradition is that we always place principles before personalities. And I don't know about the meetings you went to, but in the meetings I went to, everyone chimed in on that part, right? Everybody says principles before personalities. Yep. We yeah, did that. So, yeah, so that's how important it is, is that we say it out loud at the beginning of every meeting to remind ourselves that anonymity doesn't just mean you don't say who you see there, but it means you check your, you know, to the extent that you're able, you check your personality at the door. It doesn't matter what walk of life you're from or who you are or where you might know people from, you know. I mean, anybody can show up in an AA meeting or in any kind of recovery meeting, but it means that when you walk in the door, you leave all that behind and there's, it's like the great equalizer. You know, you might be the chief of police or you might be, you know, the homeless person on the street or you might be the principal at the school you work at or whoever it is. All of these people, when we go into those rooms, we're all equal and we check our outer identities at the door. Um, so that they don't interfere with our recovery work. And that's kind of another layer of anonymity is that, you know, in the program, we are all just members of the program. There's no hierarchy. No one is more important than anyone else. We're all just one of the bunch. And for a lot of folks, that's, that's kind of a, that's a different type of experience to just be one of the group. Yeah, that can take a while to get. And yeah. Maybe if we even ever get it, really, that, that, that is yeah. a radically different way of being in yes. the world. Uh, when I think about anonymity, especially what it meant for me when I first came in, uh, it was very, very simple. It literally meant that I did not want anyone to know that I was there, and that's all that it meant. Yeah. That, that, was of, you know, that was a primary fear that I carried, as I mentioned um, when I, when I came into the rooms was, uh, be, you know, I guess there's no other, there's no better way to say it than quote people finding out, you know, I didn't want quote people finding out that I had this, you know, that I quote had a problem with alcohol. <laughs> you know what I right. mean? That yeah. I was a very private person and that just that concept of, um, people knowing what was happening with me that was deeply personal was troubling in and of itself. And so anything to do, anytime anonymity, anytime I heard the word, really my only understanding of it was that uh, I didn't want anybody to know I was there. It really was yeah. that simple. Yeah. Well, I'm an extrovert, as you know. <laughs> so my experience with that was pretty different. But nonetheless uh, problematic because I was kind of the opposite. I would tell anyone that would listen. <laughs> you know, I, you say you're a private person. I could use a little more of that. You know, I still sometimes don't know when to be quiet and when to stop sharing. I'm kind of that person that overshares. Um, 
I guess it can be strangely charming in some ways, but <laughs> it needs to be. <laughs> That's the upside. You That's know, I'm upside. an open book. I always say what you see is what you get. I try to be very authentic. But um, certainly when I was in early recovery, I would just start talking anybody's ear off that would listen about what I was going through because I was just so self-centered and so caught up in myself. Um, so, that, you know, that's also an aspect of anonymity. I'm not saying that it was wrong that I did that, but, um, you know, and we'll probably talk more about this later, but, uh, you know, identifying too much with being an alcoholic so that you're telling everyone all the time, as I was doing, that that's problematic also because it's, um, you know, what we're trying to get at here with this concept of anonymity is um, humility and and removing personality from the equation as much as possible. So if it's now come to be part of my identity and I'm telling everyone, then that's not living in anonymity either. <laughs> yes, very right. Exactly. That that's missing the spirit of it. So even for someone as you're describing, who did not carry the same kind of concern that I had, that people would know that I'm there, you know, the, this, this, this principle of anonymity does have layers and so what what was apparent to me as the first layer, it sounds like your first layer was something uh, very different than yeah. that, but still yeah. an aspect of anonymity. Like you said, yeah. if it's if it's so much of a part of your identity and you're going around telling everyone about it, then that's problematic for you, not because everyone's going to know. You don't care if everyone knows, but because it obscures the work. Right. I'm I'm think, I'm thinking. Yeah. It obscures the work. Uh, so where, where anonymity went next for me from I didn't want you to know I was there was that, of course, I realized that it also meant that I didn't tell anyone that you were there. Right. You know, and, and at very first I'm like, yeah, 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 right, whatever. And I would. And it's not like I it's not like I would do that. But that's not what I was concerned about. What I was concerned about is people knowing that I'm there. It's right. like, okay, yeah, I get it. You don't want people to know that you're here either, but that's, I could feel my fear, but over time, you know, it, it, it grew and I, and I understood that anything that I hear in the rooms, anyone that I see is to stay inside the rooms. And so the focus started to balance from being, you know, completely focused on myself and what anonymity meant for me to uh, being able to balance that by focusing on others and recognizing that, oh, you know, they may feel the same way. And so that's just as important Yeah, that I balance uh, their uh, anonymity with my yeah. own. Well, that makes me realize that another aspect of anonymity, which especially if you live in a small town like I do, can be managing the various social situations you might find folks from recovery in. So if you were just sitting next to somebody in a in a um, recovery meeting and they were sharing some very personal things and then you find yourself in a business meeting with them or standing in their line at the grocery store or whatever it is, you know, it's really important to sort of separate those two things and make sure that, you know, I'm not treating someone differently because I know some really personal things that they shared in a meeting um, and certainly not exposing those things in any way. It can be very tricky. So confidentiality is absolutely an aspect of anonymity. You know, we were talking before the program about something else that a lot of groups say at the beginning of their meetings, which is who you see here, what you say here, what you hear here, let it stay here. And then we all say here, here, because we're yes. just cutesy like that. <laughs> 
But, um, you know, it's ways of reminding ourselves. And I think we can't have that reminder enough. Like I say, especially in a small community where you might encounter folks from recovery. Um, and, you know, we're not just talking about AA. It could be any type of recovery group, you know, that people have a right to go to those groups and be anonymous and um, have a reasonable expectation that what they say there will not be exposed or um, breached. Right. So it's very Absolutely. important. I mean, it's a foundation because otherwise we cannot share openly. Any recovery program. And I, yes. I definitely had that experience early on. So, you know, I, I get sober, I start attending meetings, I go to the grocery store and, oh, someone who works at the grocery store, I see at this meeting. And then, you know, I, I developed an understanding that, you know, we could certainly smile and nod and acknowledge. Right. We didn't pretend that we didn't know each other. Um, but, you know, we also didn't shake hands and start catching up, you know, right. either. Yeah. You're just somewhere in the middle. It's like, you know, yeah. you're, you're walking your life path and I'm walking mine. We both understand that it crossed in the recovery rooms and we value one another. Uh, we value one another's anonymity and we just sort of respectfully acknowledge one another and that nothing right. needs to be said. You know, everything right. is communicated in that. And it's so it turned, you know, at first it was a fearful kind of thing for me. Surprise. And then after a while, it turned into kind of a comforting thing. It's like, oh, I know people all over town. You know, yeah. I kind of like <laughs> just having this sort of warm connection because yeah. in the rooms, it was very clear to me very early on, these people, we all really care about each other. Yeah. You know, we're talking about personal and troubling things and we're sharing openly in a way that you just don't normally do in right. life. And so, uh, you know, I, I really came to appreciate that bumping into others. Although, like you said, at first it sort of freaked me out and it does require, um, you know, being, uh, I'm going to say like being managed. I mean, following the principles of the program, they, they need to be in force right. uh, during those uh, interactions as well. Yeah, that can be really tricky. I mean, this is kind of um, serving as a reminder to me, you know, if you see someone in a social situation or out and about that, you know, from recovery, I mean, even really acknowledging that, you know, them could, a could be a breach of their anonymity. What if right. they're with family members that have no idea they're going to meetings and, you know, then they get home and wife is asking husband, how do you know that? person and yeah so it's you kind of have to follow the other person's lead um, but it's very important because that's what gives us safety in the rooms the safety to be open and to recover is knowing that we are safe that, that we have that anonymity protecting us absolutely and we develop like we were uh, saying maybe before the show sort of generalized response oh where do you know them from because i got sober in the town where my mom lived and and i would see people and, and oh she'd say oh where do you know them from just very innocently and just yeah. you know round town here and there but yeah. let's hold that thought because it's time for a short break and when we come back we'll continue the conversation and we certainly hope that you'll stay with us hang in there and we will be back All are welcome. We're glad you found us. Unity Online Radio. 
the voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. Welcome back indeed, and we're glad you're with us today. If you're just joining us, my name is Reverend Dan Beckett, and I'm here with co-host Reverend Michelle Jellinch. We'll resume our discussion in a moment, but first we want to remind you that you can send us your questions and feedback anytime during the week from our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery. Message us from there, and each week we'll respond during the show to a listener question or comment. Be assured that your anonymity will always be respected, so please let us know what's on your mind. So prior to the break, we were discussing um, first fear and how it relates to anonymity, how we were afraid of having our anonymity breached. And then we talked about what anonymity really means, and we sort of got to some deeper layers of meaning around that concept of anonymity. So, Dan, now that we've discussed that fear that we had, and we know that the solution to that fear is this principle of anonymity, how exactly does that principle of anonymity lead us to that feeling of safety and serenity? Well, um, you know, as I pondered that question, some some clear examples came to mind. You know, I think this is one of those things that unfolds over time. It's yeah. not a an immediate uh, connection, although I believe that eventually um, it it will kind of show up that way. But one of the earliest connections that I think where anonymity helped me move out of fear and into a sense of peace or serenity or relief. I call it, was that uh, in the rooms after a while, I realized that this was not all about me. <laughs> you know, I Darn went it. in there, you know, all consumed with self, which yeah. is totally understandable. And that's where we all begin. And hopefully we can move uh, away from that over time. But so, you know, sort of the more that I heard other people, the more that I was able to connect with them through shared experiences, the more I realized, man, this is not this is not just me. I'm not alone in this. It's not all about me. Yes, I am here to uh, walk my own recovery path. Yes, no one can do my inner work for me, but uh, I can't do it alone, and it's not all about me. And that brought a great deal of relief. It seemed to take somehow to take some pressure off of the situation for me and just acknowledging that, wow, you know, uh, we're in this together in a sense. Uh, in itself, just that brought relief. And so that that principle of anonymity, and I'm getting I'm using anonymity in the sense in that in that it's not all about me kind of sense. Right. It's like my my individuality, the person that I am, my ego or, or whatever we want to call it, um, is not the beginning and the end of this. Uh, anonymity tells me that it's principles that are in play. It's community that matters. It's not all about me. It's about us in addition to, you know, everything is a matter of balance. It's not like right. I completely give myself away um, in service of, of the group, but I work to balance uh, my own self with the group. And so it was in that way, in that sense of anonymity, realizing that, oh man, it's not all about me. It can A lot of this is about us. And I just felt such a sense of relief from that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was thinking about, you know, how important it is in the program, regardless of which particular program we're talking about, that we, um, because you encounter all 
walks of life in a 12 in a 12 step meeting of any kind. And so, um, you know, it's easy to say on the outside, well, I'm not like that person or that person is different from me or whatever. But another aspect of anonymity is that we um, look beyond those sort of the trappings of our life outside the rooms and we look for commonalities. And um, we look for the ways that we relate to what other people are sharing. And that's sort of the beautiful and amazing thing that happens in the rooms is that we all look so different from one another and come from all these different walks of life. And yet we have this thing in common that we all relate to. And I'm not just talking about the active using that we relate to, because even that can look really different, but we relate to the underlying feelings. And that's that commonality that just crosses all boundaries of gender and class and race and all those, you know, profession and all those types of things. And so, you know, as human beings, and we've talked about this many times, we have a real tendency to compare. We're always, you know, doing the over under. Am I uh, better or worse than this person? Am I like them or not like them? And I remember in early recovery, I was obsessed with um, talking to people about my drinking and comparing it to their drinking to see if I belonged there. (laughs) That was my obsession for maybe the first 90 days of recovery. Yeah. You know, so I would, again, anybody that any unsuspecting victim that would listen to me would get an earful about my drinking. And then I would want to know whether they thought I belonged there or not. And, um, you know, that was, that's how I got into the program. That was my process. But ultimately I had to come to a decision that it didn't matter whether my drinking looked like their drinking or not. It didn't matter how much I drank, how often I drank, what I drank, when I drank, how bad of consequences I had versus other people, because you're going to find everything in the rooms, right? It mattered what was underneath that, those feelings underneath that I related to. So even if I hadn't, let's say, perhaps gone as far down the road as some people that were sharing in meetings, I could still relate to that person that was much farther down the road than me. I could relate to them. I could relate to the feelings they were describing, the fears, the obsession, the thought processes, all of which were caught up with my alcoholism. And so, again, it, it, you know, it meant just relating across those boundaries and finding those commonalities. And, and that's what gives us peace is, is knowing that we're not alone and we're not alone in this and others share the same feelings. You know, as I consider this, we kind of have a theme of this, uh, we call it this principle of anonymity. And I really see it that way. It, it does have layers and it does deepen over time. And so, uh, I'm thinking, you know, even though it started off with uh, me realizing it's not all about me, the follow on, the fairly quick follow on to that is that I realized that others were just as important as I was, meaning they had the, you know, an equally uh, intense experience of life with yeah. all its depth and ups and downs and challenges and joys. And that's almost overwhelming to realize that every single person that you could ever lay eyes on has a, a richness of life experience exactly uh, equivalent to my own. I can barely deal with my own, you know, let alone uh, trying to conceive of every person in a room having that same depth of 
experience. So realizing that others were just as important as I was. And, you know, one thing that helped that a lot is listening, right? So listening in a recovery meeting, listening to what other people were sharing, you know, every once in a while, someone would share something. I mean, I could really strongly eye with it. I could feel their experience. You know, I could feel where someone else was coming from. And that kind of connection really helped anchor that aspect of anonymity for me, which is that, you know, other people, they're just as important as I am. You know, it's, it's, it, it seems like a weird thing to say, but just to recognize the richness and the depth and the value of other people's experiences and other people's lives, you know, through hearing about them in, in detail and really being able to, to connect with them. Yeah. Well, I'm going to bring up one of our favorite topics Jesus. And I was, I think I've heard people say, and it was just occurring to me right now that if Jesus were alive today, he'd probably be hanging out in an AA meeting, (laughs) you know, and I like um, to think so. Yeah. Well, it's because I was just thinking how these, these rooms that we spend, you know, this time in where we are all so different and look different from one another and come from different walks of life, but it, it's the 12-step meeting is the great equalizer. And once we go into those rooms, we are all equal. We all have an equal right to be there, an equal right to share. We are of equal importance. Is that not the kingdom of God Jesus was talking about? Yeah. You know, that's what he was talking about. And those would have been his peeps back then. You know, I mean, those were his peeps. They would be his peeps today, let's say. Um, and so it's, you know... It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing that we create in the rooms of 12-step recovery where everyone, where it is principles before personalities. You know, we can look at our personalities and look at our differences and find every reason not to relate to one another, right? I'm different than that person because of X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Or we can leave our personalities to the extent that we are able at the door and it's a practice. That's why we say it at the beginning of every meeting. We practice principles before personalities. We have to keep being reminded of it again and again. But we can have that experience of the commonalities and the ways that we do our common humanity, our common uh, our common pain and suffering, our common hopes and dreams, and, and, and have that experience. It's really a unique experience that you probably wouldn't have in too many other aspects of life. Um, having that experience of that equality, that kingdom of God that Jesus uh, was always on about. Yes, I love that, and I'm and uh, something's coming to mind. Uh, continuing that, and so I'm going to sort of leap to the other side of anonymity, if you will. You know, I started off with the very self-centered uh, aspects, and then slowly that branches out to include others. So I begin to come into some sense of balance, but I want to share this um, from the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, you, you may know it. Uh, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know, one thing that tells me is that gentleness and humility lead to peace, to rest yes. for my soul. That, that to me means peace, a deep sense of, uh, peace within, uh, you know, a sort of a comfort that, um, passes all understanding, if you will, or a peace that passes all understanding. And, um, that, that I see humility as 
sort of what I might call anonymity in action, you know, anonymity expressed in my life shows up as humility because humility says that no matter what I've done, what I own, what my education is, um, what I've accomplished, what I can do, skills I have, resources I have, none of that makes me any better or any worse than anyone else. That truly it's humility says we're all on an equal playing field, no matter what, Right. no matter what. And so, uh, that, that expression of anonymity. So the particulars about me do not make me better than you. And the particulars about me do not make me worse than you. Like, like I've, I've, I've heard you share that idea that I'm the piece of crap that the world revolves around, <laughs> you know, that's sort of completely self-centered, but also uh, very Ooh, negative uh, self view. It's exactly yeah. the same thing as I'm the greatest and the world revolves around me. But yes. humility says that none of that stuff uh, matters. That truly it is. And that, that I believe a central tenet, if not the uh, central tenet to w- my understanding of Jesus teaching about the kingdom of God, all people matter. You see it in the parable of the lost sheep. You yes. see it in the parable of the prodigal son. Yes. Everyone matters. Everyone matters. So to me, that's that's humility, and that's the deepest meaning of anonymity. Not that I disappear, so to speak, and not that I don't matter or I right. go away, like I shrink into the corner and nobody cares about me. No, not that at all, but um, that... The, the things that I consider my unique uh, identifiers uh, are not any more important than anybody else's. And there's a tremendous amount of peace in that. If, if I can stop that part of my mind that you talked about, that comparer, you know, yes. th- there's the, the opposite of humility is arrogance and arrogance always sees things in terms of better or less, more than or less than. Am I higher than or am I lower than? And I need to be higher than because I can't face what I would feel like if I felt like I was lower than. And humility is the very opposite of that. It's not comparing and ranking. Yes. And it's special when we experience that in the rooms of recovery because it's not what the outer culture teaches, right? The outer culture is constantly teaching us that we are our personality and our personal identity, our accomplishments, our titles, um, our, you know, achievements, whatever. And uh, like you said, you know, doing that comparing, and I call it the over-under because we're either comparing ourselves and deciding that we're better than or comparing ourselves and deciding that we're worse than I say, you know, we're like dogs at a dog park, you know, sniffing each other's <laughs> butts and trying to figure out where we rank. I mean, it really is. It's kind of not a very high level of um, evolution to be operating at. Right. And so in the programs, you, you hear the, um, you hear the term right-sized and that we need to be right-sized. Yeah. And I think that's sort of what you're talking about because humility doesn't mean putting myself real low because that starts to go into false humility, right? Oh, I'm so, you know, I'm so humble. I'm so whatever. So it's being right-sized. And what is right-sized? The same size as everybody else, you know? And, and I love that when when your sponsor will tell you, you know, you need to be right sized. So it's just that reminder 
um, to not be too big, not be too small, just be a person among people um, or an, an AA among AAs or whatever it is, you know. Um, that right sizeness is a really good reminder for me. And you're right, you know, this is what Jesus was all about. And we see it again and again um, in your favorite, the Sermon on the Mount, and in the Beatitudes, which all basically distill down to hum humility. Yeah. And it's not being humble so that we can be so pious because that's not humility, right? It's being humble because it's the way to peace. It's the way, you know, what Jesus taught was the way. It's the, it's not the way to being pious and wonderful. It's the way to being happy and joyous and free and at peace is not, not having to, you know, compare, not having to compete, not having to be in that ego personality all the time to just learn to be right sized. And we learn it in the rooms, but it carries out into our lives, you know, our daily lives, that being right sized. And I can't hear, I don't know about you, but I can't hear that reminder enough. <laughs> because to do so is to let go of all of that fear, because all those fears are based on comparisons of not being enough. And if I can truly experience uh, the world uh, through the eyes of humility, if you will, then those fears don't serve me anymore, and I can let them go. One way I've come to understand humility, and again, I'm I'm putting it forth as sort of the 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 deepest expression of anonymity. Humility is to see through God's eyes which I believe is what Jesus was doing. You know, the opposite of that is arrogance. And arrogance sees humility as belittlement because right. arrogance can only compare and make less than and more than. So just the very idea that everyone is level means everyone's being belittled and humiliated, you yes. know, that kind of aspect, because from the point of view of arrogance, that's all that it looks like. Right. But... I truly believe that to, to see th with humility is to see through God's eyes, which is to see that everyone is equal, everyone does matter. That, that whole concept of greater than and less than goes away, and, that, and all the fear that drives it. I mean, arrogance is driven 100% by fear of not being enough, and I've been there, and I won't put words in your mouth, but I'm pretty sure I heard you tell me at some point that you've been there. Um, it's something that we can all identify with. Now, I don't want to live there. You know, I don't want to camp out and set up shop there and have that be my way of um, engaging the world. I aspire to see as the master saw, you know, the master teacher and to see through God's eyes as much as I can. And so this principle of anonymity as it's ex expressed in humility really helps me because it shows me, oh, this is what that looks like. Yes. Can I do it right in this moment? Can I do it? You know, yeah. can I shift if I'm feeling fearful? Can I shift that fear by uh, asking what would this look like through the eyes of humility? What if everyone truly was equally valuable? What, what, would, what would change here inside me? in this yeah. dynamic. It's extraordinarily powerful. And like most things that are that powerful, you know, quite difficult to practice. But again, yeah. it, it is a practice. We're not, we're not here to be perfect or even to aspire to be perfect. We're here to oh, thank God. Put, put one foot in front of the other, you know, <laughs> and, and practice these principles in all our affairs. That's all we need to do. Yep. That's why it's a spiritual practice. You know, um, 
we've talked about, I, I, I don't like to get into a, the idea of a war with the ego, you know, of trying to, you know, sort of um, obliterate the ego or that the ego is bad or whatever. But I believe that the struggle is to put the ego in its rightful place. And to me, the ego's rightful place is in service to the higher self or to the spiritual self. So, but that ego, not because it's bad, again, I really don't like to set up that dichotomy, but that ego is always going to keep trying to come back and assert itself. That's its job. Its job is to keep us alive, you know? I mean, it's still operating from a sort of reptilian place of, you know, danger, danger, you know, (laughs) how do I survive? And so because we have another part of our minds that's more evolved, we need to use that part to put that reptilian part in its, in its place and just make sure that it's not running the show. So it is a practice. Um, Some of us need to practice it more than others, myself (laughs) included, you know, just that remembering. And so that's that reminder about principles versus personalities. When we go into the rooms, it's about principles. What are the principles that we are um, living by, striving to live by, um, and leaving the trappings of our, you know, humanness and our personalities out of it as much as possible because those things just get in the way. You know, those, those trappings, those personality aspects will tell me I'm not like you, therefore I don't have the same problem as you, therefore this doesn't apply to me, therefore I don't need to listen to you or take your advice. It's going to find everything that is different about you so I don't have to relate. Um, and so, you know, principles before personalities. What are we here for? We have that singleness of purpose. We're all here to learn to live life as um, sober beings and living according to the 12 steps and to these principles. And And I love that the principles are reflected in the steps and in the traditions. They're not a mystery. I mean, they might feel like a mystery at first because it can be hard to wrap our heads around, so to speak, but they're right there in front of us. Well, What principles are we living by? There they are, right on the wall, the principles that underlie (laughs) these 12 steps and the principles that underlie these 12 traditions. And I heard it described, the the steps keep me from killing myself and the traditions keep me from killing y'all. You know, everyone around. We kind of like to put it bluntly, don't we? (laughs) Yeah, get right to it. But man, what a beautiful way to live, to to be able to undertake seeing... uh, you know, through the eyes of humility to living, uh, living from a place of principle is a peaceful way to live, but let's uh, change gears. Cause guess what? It's time to turn our attention to a question or a comment from you, our listeners. And here's a question that often comes up. It goes something like, I'm afraid that people will find out I'm in recovery. How can I deal with this fear? That's something I can definitely identify with. Yeah, you know, I mentioned I don't really identify with that fear that much, but I know it's a legitimate fear that a lot of folks have, and it probably just depends on people's circumstances. Um, And so, you know, how can I deal with this fear? Gosh, I mean, this is just a reason why we need to always remind one another about that anonymity at the beginning of every meeting. We cannot remind ourselves enough. 
And it's not just about not saying who, who you see there. It's, an, it's about not breaching the confidence of what you hear there. And so we just need to keep remembering that that is the foundational principle of recovery is that it needs to be a safe, anonymous place. But ultimately, we can't control what other folks do. We can only we've, we've got to let that go, you know, but we can practice it in our own lives. So we can make sure that we are not the ones breaching someone's anonymity or breaching someone's confidence. And then what other folks do, we've we sort of got to let go of that. You know, this this is a fear that I had. And, and the fact that you didn't have this fear, if we were in the same group, that would have scared me. <laughs> like, that one over there, she's probably going to tell someone else that I'm here. Because look at her telling everybody. No, I'm just kidding. But I had this fear, and and I know that the uh, antidote, if you will, because you know alcohol's off the table. That would that's my go-to uh, solution for everything prior to recovery. Um, is to just focus on my own recovery, and also this idea that. Whatever it is that I'm afraid that other people are going to do, make darn sure I don't do it. So make a strong point of respecting and protecting other people's uh, anonymity. That really can take a lot of the wind out of the the fear, you know, the sail, if you will, the that I'm having is when I when I make a point of acting responsibly um, to others. Of course, I'll speak to my sponsor about it. That almost yeah. goes without saying, but that's one right. of those things I could use to hear over and over again, and I can share about it in the group. But yes. what about an affirmation that we can carry with us? Yes, well, we love affirmations. And so our affirmation for this week is very simple and sweet. Guided by spirit within, I release all fear and live in peace. And again, guided by the spirit within, I release all fear and I live in peace. I make the decision to live in peace. I like that one. It is Happy, joyous, and free easy for me to remember. Well, it's happened again. You've given yourself the gift of another hour listening to Spirit of Recovery, and we are grateful. We hope that you found something in all of our yammering that will be genuinely helpful to you in your recovery. Thanks, Reverend Michelle, again for our discussion, and thanks to all who are listening to the podcast via Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn. We bless you wherever you are on your recovery journey. And listeners, don't forget, you can connect with us on our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery, and give us your thoughts and feedback. We invite you to join us again next Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central. Until then, don't drink like my co-host. And don't drink like my co-host. Instead, have yourself a wonder-filled week. Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. I'm Suzanne Giesman, and if you've ever wondered about life after death or if it's possible to connect with a higher consciousness, I invite you to join me for my podcast, Messages of Hope. It's my mission to share with you that our loved ones who have passed are always with us and we are so very loved. I want to teach you how to live a consciously connected and divinely guided life. Listen here on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network.